Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to In Search Of. We're your host, Ashton and Sam. We're two accountants who binge podcasts by day and TV by night. Keep listening to find what you've been in search of. Hey, Sam. Hey, Ashton. So our episode today, we have, we don't really have a name yet, but it's podcast turned into TV shows. So you've probably seen lots of TV lately based off, if you listen to podcasts, I mean, there's a whole list of them. We've got, what are, what are some other ones that we're not doing? Um, what's the big one? Like one of the first ones that came out, uh, has Connie, whatever her name is. Connie Britton. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one was that? Dirty oh my John. Gosh. Dirty John. Yeah, that I feel like that was one of the first ones mm-hmm. that came out. But yeah, there's, um, we're doing, uh, she, Sam's doing Dr. Death. I'm doing the thing about Pam. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's a you lot more. but I can't. to do oh. The Shrink Next Door. Yes, I was going to do The Shrink Next Door, but Wondery, you have to like pay to listen to that which i don't weird i know i listened to it back in the day something that we're watching right now is oh the staircase no no because that was well was that i don't think there's really a i don't think there's a main podcast about that one no no i think you're right but anyways anyway (laughs) yeah there's a lot out there so we decided to do cover some podcasts that are covered or that have been turned into tv shows and then we chose a tv show that was a book which is the anatomy of scandal so i think you and i kind of have some different opinions on anatomy of scandal Mm -hmm. i liked it you weren't the biggest fan of it i didn't dislike it but i thought it was boring and like halfway through i lost interest and like i kept yeah. playing in the background and i finished it but i was not like it wasn't captivating to me 
Yeah, I could see that. It's a little slow, but I think it's going to get good. There's a second season. Oh, so really? basic Yeah, I think there's going to be a second. They kind of left a cliffhanger, so I feel like there's got to be a second season. Basically what happens, and I love UK TV. I don't know why. I'm just like, I just love the, any kind of UK TV show I'm totally into. It. It's the weirdest mm-hmm. like niche that I'm into. But basically he's like a prime minister. Is that what he is? Some sort of politician. Yeah. In England. In, in England, yeah. And he gets accused of raping one of his employers which he had an affair with so there's kind of the whole question of like was this rape or was this just a continuation of the affair yeah yeah so there's this whole thing well then you come to learn that the lawyer who was prosecuting him i guess raped her but she kind of like changed her identity Mm -hmm. so they don't really recognize her and so she kind of has, like, a personal thing against him. Also, I don't think that's allowed, but, like, she doesn't say anything. Also, I think their whole, like, the way they get dressed up in court is really funny. The, the wigs. hair thing. Yeah, yeah. Is that really necessary? Do they need I don't to know. do that? I don't because know. I feel like I take them less seriously when I'm like, you are wearing a curly white wig. I know. I wonder if they do that to try to, like, put everybody on the same playing field. I don't know. I don't really yeah. understand that. But anyways, so you you learn that the guy, you think he's like this good guy at first, but then you kind of learn he has this like dark past. And his wife is Sienna Miller. And the woman who plays the lawyer, she's in another show on Netflix that I thought looked good. I can't remember what it was called. But it's a I pretty good I've show. That show, because I looked this up also. So yeah, and I was interested in watching that show, but I haven't um done that yet but and then basically another thing that happens while they're in college is the guy that is accused of rape he and he his friend was doing drugs and he's like okay we need to come home so he takes his friend and puts the drugs in his pocket and they leave well when they're leaving like they go down the stairs and they leave well the guy he was doing the drugs with like is high on drugs and jumps from the building and like kills himself well he's like um the main guy tells his friend he's like we got to go like we can't be here so they basically like left the scene of a crime scene and he later realizes he has the drugs in his pocket and like throws it away and so um it's this whole big thing and his girlfriend at the time was his wife who became his wife later And he kind of tells her what happens. I think he leaves out some details. So it's kind of this drama just plays out where she's like, you know, you you haven't been honest to me about these certain things. So she leaves him. And then at the end of the movie or the show, she outs him for that. So it's this whole big, you know, they get him and his friend get taken into jail and they're both like, you know, in the political world. And so it's good. I mean, it's it is slow. It's really short, though. There's only, like, six episodes. Yeah, and I guess I just felt like I could see where everything was going, and nothing felt like a cliffhanger to me. I was like, okay, okay. (laughs) I don't know. But the judge is, um, her name is 
Michelle Dockery, and I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but she was in Defending Jacob on Apple TV. Oh, that's right. And that was also a book that okay. was okay. going to a show and has Chris Evans in it, and I really liked that. It's a like a crime. I never finished that, but I know what okay. you're talking about. Yeah. But no, that's not the movie. The show I'm okay. talking about is on Netflix right now. Okay. And it's like something new that um they just dropped and it's not really probably what I would normally be into because it's kind of like a western, but it looks interesting. So, I might Yes. I yeah. I'm usually not into that kind of stuff, but we'll see. Well, I um, am not into that stuff either, but I watched Yellowstone and oh, okay. really, I got into it. Okay. Yeah. I, I haven't surprised. Met, I haven't tried Yellowstone yet. But it's only on like... Something random? Well, I think it was on something random to watch it live and I wanted to watch it live as the new season was coming out, but I think you can watch old episodes somewhere else. I don't know. Gotcha. Well, that's our recommendation for TV. Give it a shot. You might not be that into it, but I liked it. I kind of just put it on and cooked dinner. And it, again, it's like one of those shows where you don't have to literally watch every single detail. Yeah, and it's you know? short. So even if you're yeah. like me and you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, well, that wasn't, I didn't love it, but I mean, I'm not like, oh, I spent, I wasted my time watching. So yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, you know, let us know what you think. But, okay, now we have Dr. Death and Think About Pam. So, I'm going to let you go first, Sam, because I think I went last time. So. Okay. Um, And I know you didn't ever watch this because you don't oh, like watching Yes, I forgot things. to mention that. I don't like <laughs> watching shows that I already know the story to, which The Staircase is different because... I have watched the Netflix documentary and I mm -hmm. and I'm watching the show. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm not. I didn't watch Dirty John. I didn't watch Doctor Death. I didn't watch the now. Dirty John is very cringy. I don't think you should watch that. Okay. Um, Doctor Death, I do think is really good. Um, and what is and... that on Netflix? Mm, I'm gonna look it up because okay. I think it's Hulu, but I'm not. Oh, yeah, you might be right. You might be right, yeah. So, yeah, the thing about Pam was not good. Oh, wait, in... no. This is on um, that Peacock stream. Oh, that's right. That I, yeah. um, okay, I apparently that's free, so you can if watch you that have if Xfinity. you want. Yeah. Oh, um, that's right, yeah. But I do think it's really good, and it gives you a lot more of – so the podcast talks mostly about his patients and then a little bit at the end it explains the trial mm -hmm. but the show is a lot of the trial and the two doctors who are trying to like persecute him Take and him the yeah yeah and the district attorney that is working with them so it's a lot more of that so it's not like you're re-watching the podcast like episode by episode it's mm -hmm. it's very um and i don't think it's cheesy so okay anyway i think it's worth watching I'll, if if you're just looking for something i have xfinity too so i'll yeah. give it a shot yeah so i mean i think a lot of people kind of know the story but um the podcast was produced by wondery in 2018 
and the podcast doesn't really go in chronological order, but I don't think I will be able to tell it very well if I don't go in chronological order. So hopefully it makes sense, but I'm going to start from like (laughs) the beginning. So it's about Christopher Dunch. He was born in Montana, but he grew up in a suburb of Memphis. Um, I actually have a friend who lives in this, like just outside of um, where he grew up. And it w- it's like a wealthy part of Memphis. And okay. his family was not really wealthy. I think his dad was like a physical therapist and his mom was a missionary or something. So he was not his like family and he was not as like prominent and wealthy as everybody else in his town, but he kind of gained a name and popularity by playing football. Um, And he wasn't actually like very good at football, but he was like the hardest worker on the team. And like, he would practice like longer and harder and run drills like over and over and over. So um, like, they said what he lacked in talent, he made up for in motivation. And this is kind of like just how he is, even as a doctor. So yeah, which turns out to like be a bad thing um, (laughs) that he was so like stubborn. Yeah, you have to actually be like a good doctor. You can't just have like good motivation. Yeah, yeah. You can't just be like, I really am going to be a good doctor and like (laughs) not. Um, So he first tried to go to college to play football, but again, because he wasn't all that good at it, um, that didn't work out. But his, one of his first college roommates said that, um, he would always be losing things, particularly his keys. And it was like almost every time he like left the house, he was like, I don't know where my keys are. And they would all joke and be like, check the door. And like, he would have, he would have left his keys in like the lock in the door. And his roommate said, we would all joke that like, if he ever became a doctor, he would leave something inside of a body because like, that's how forgetful he was. Oh my gosh. And come to find out years later, that's exactly what he does. So he gives up his football dreams. And in 1995, he started med school at the University of Tennessee. And he had, he built a great reputation because again, he was like very motivated and hardworking and dedicated. But in his residency, he completed less than a hundred surgeries. Most all residents complete over a thousand surgeries. So he had like no experience, but he had the um, recommendations and like the positive words from the doctors and everything that he worked with because of his attitude. Um, So he graduated from med school and in the summer of 2011, he began working at Baylor Plano Medical Center in Texas, which I lived like 20 minutes from there um, when I lived in Texas. So it's Where, like, is that like, it's like Dallas? north e- east a little bit of Dallas. Okay. So like a little bit up and a little bit over. Um, so that first year, he had three botched surgeries on Mar- Barry Morgoloff. Robert Passmore, and Kenneth Fennell. All three would end up resulting in lawsuits and permanent physical damage to the patients. Um, And later that year, in December of 2011, he wrote an email to his 
coworker who he was also dating at the time. And he said, quote, I really am building an empire. Anyone close to me thinks that I am likely something between God, Einstein, and the Antichrist. I'm ready to leave the love and kindness and goodness and patience that I mix with everything else that I am and become a cold-blooded killer. So, I mean, why this didn't, like, raise red flags, I don't know. I guess it was because to his girlfriend and she was still dating him. I don't know. Yeah, that is not something you ever want just, like, a normal human human being to say. Especially your doctor. doctor. I know. And he's like a neurosurgeon. Like he's not like a physician. He is like performing like spine surgeries. So, so anyway. Um, So in February of 2012, Chris performed neck surgery on his childhood best friend, Jerry Summers. Um, Jerry had an old football injury. And when Jerry woke up, he couldn't move or feel anything from the neck down. So Chris took him back into surgery to, like, correct whatever he thought was wrong from the first one. And Chris ended up removing so much bone from Jerry's neck that his head was not securely attached to his body. Jerry later told his girlfriend that he and Chris had done cocaine the night before surgery, then kind of took that back a little bit, but Chris was, it was a common rumor that Chris was like high on some sort of drugs, like drunk often when he was operating. Um, Jerry became permanently paralyzed, um, but it's like a, I think it's called a incomplete paralysis because he Uh can't move from the neck down but he can feel pain so it's like the worst combination it's like he can't use his limbs but he can feel the pain in them yeah i remember when they when this listening to the story they were like he basically decapitated him yes like yeah, his head was like, like basically from the not inside. attached. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he, I mean, they talked to him a lot in this podcast, and he mm-hmm. still like does not have bad things to say about him. Oh, which, my God. I don't know. I mean, he, they talked to Jerry's girlfriend also, um, and he dealt with like a lot of anger, which I mean, understandable but she said that he kind of took it out on her and like would use his wheelchair as like a battering ram and like slam his body and stuff so awful and that was his best friend so um after this surgery dunch was temporarily suspended by baylor plano um but it was only for a month and when his suspension was up he operated on kelly martin She had come in for a simple procedure on her back that should have taken about an hour. It took over three hours, and she was in so much pain after the surgery that she had to be sedated. Dunge told her family that there had been some complications, but overall the surgery went fine. But in actuality, her abdomen had filled with blood because Dunch had punctured a major vessel near her spinal cord and she bled to death in the recovery room. So she died? Yes. In the Okay, cro- okay. I, yeah. Oh she my bled gosh. To death. I can't remember all the little details. Like, I know. Oh my god. I know. That's so horrible. then Dunch decided to resign before Baylor could fire him. 
But by allowing Dunch to resign rather than firing him, um, the facility didn't have to report him to the state medical board or report him to the National Practitioner Databank. And this databank keeps a record of like bad doctors. So there's a number of reasons you could be put into this databank and most of them are not so bad to where like you could never practice again but it does give like a listing of like why doctors were fired and whatever so um Baylor didn't fire him so they didn't have to report him and there's it's mostly like financial reasons why they didn't do this because if Baylor had reported him, they would have the legal ramifications and the bills and like the malpractice suits and all of that coming towards them. And it's also a possibility that Dunch could sue Baylor. I mean, he wouldn't really have an argument to say that he was fired without cause, but still like going through that litigation and having to prove that what he did, it's, it was just easier for Baylor to not fire him and let him resign. So anyway, um, that allowed Dunch to keep operating. He kept his medical license so he could just go, he could leave Baylor and go wherever he wanted to keep operating. So this was 2012. Later in that year, um, this is where the two kind of main people in the show come in. So Dr. Robert Henderson and Dr. Randall Kirby are the two. Um, one is played by Christian Slater, I think, and the other is played by Alec Baldwin in the show. Oh, okay. And they are the two that really fight to get him convicted. So – um, later in 2012 is when Dr. Robert Henderson first really meets Dunch. He had heard of him and like kind of heard these rumors, but this was the first time he like saw and met him in person. So Robert Henderson was a back and spine surgeon and he had gotten a call from an administrator at Dallas Medical Center. Um, a patient who just had surgery was not doing well and needed corrective surgery and the admin person was calling to ask Robert Henderson to do it. And um, he, Dr. Henderson said that he was usually called by other doctors and surgeons to help. It's usually not admins who are like calling on the behalf of a patient and saying like, we need another doctor here. Like that's not really their job. Um, so this patient who needed help was Mary Eford. She had come in for elective surgery, and Dunch had operated on the wrong part of her back, severed one of her nerve roots, twisted screws, and drilled holes in, like, random parts of her spine, didn't remove the disc he was actually supposed to remove, and he left hardware in her. So he left, like, random screws and, like, instruments inside oh, of her. Oh, my God. She lost a third of her blood. And um, in the middle of her surgery, he left her on the operating table with her spine exposed to go argue with the hospital staff about a woman he had operated on the day before. So the woman he operated on the day before was named Floella Brown. She was 64 years old. Dunch had severed her vertebral artery and said that during the procedure, there was so much blood that he couldn't see what he was doing. This, sur this surgery, like normally, there should not be that much blood. 
Um, but it was like, there was so much blood. It was like seeping onto the floor, like dripping off the table and onto the floor. So when she was back in the recovery room, she lost consciousness and Dunch was not there. He had left the hospital. Um, nurses, everybody was calling him like all night. He never answered. When he came in the next morning, he was coming in for Mary Eford surgery, who we just talked about. Um, and it people who saw him said that it appeared that he was on quote something, meaning drugs. And he was mm-hmm. in the same scrubs he had been wearing for the past three days, like unwashed. There was like a hole, I think, in the back of them. And that's how they knew that it was the same pair of scrubs. So he came in. Um, he didn't check on Floella, even though, I mean, she had lost consciousness. They had been trying to contact him, contact him, and he went straight to Eford's surgery instead. So while he was working on Eford's back, he said that he wanted to do a craniotomy on Floella. Well, he didn't have the privileges and Dallas Medical Center was not equipped to do a craniotomy. That's like essentially removing part of someone's brain. Um, And so the nurses were like, no, you can't do that. He got angry and that's when he left Eford's spine open on the table. So um, eventually Dunch, so the nurses and like Floella's family were trying to get her transferred to a different hospital. Um, eventually Dunch said that, that, that was fine. Um, but because he had punctured the major artery in her neck and there was no activity found in her brain, she was withdrawn from life support. So that's another patient that has died. So back to Mary Eford and Dr. Henderson, he did the corrective surgery on her and he recorded it because he knew that it would go to litigation for malpractice. He found a screw sticking up through her spinal canal, three holes in her spinal column, and saw that a bundle of nerves that controlled her legs had been completely removed. He realized that Dunch was not even operating in the right place, which was like on the wrong disc. And that's when he began to question if Dunch was like actually a doctor. Um, So Dallas Medical Center revoked Dunch privileges there. Um, And again, revoking privileges at a certain facility just means that that doctor can't operate there. They can go anywhere else they want to. Um, So they they didn't stop him. They just stopped him from operating there. So um, then Randall Kirby um, kind of joined forces with Dr. Henderson. Um, Randall Kirby had worked with Dunch at Baylor Plano. Um, they had done a surgery together and Kirby watched Dunch do it wrong. So he was he had more you know evidence and support to back this case against him. So the next year, 2013, uh, Dunch operated on Jeffrey Glidewell, and he destroyed Glidewell's thyroid gland, cut through his esophagus, drilled a hole in his neck, injured a major artery, and let him bleed profusely. Dunch shoved a sponge in the hole that he drilled to stop the bleeding and sewed Jeffrey up, leaving the sponge inside. 
Kirby came in after he was again, like called to do elective reparative surgery. And he decided that this was criminal level activity and an attempt at murder. So Kirby wrote a letter to the medical board and they revoked Dunch's license. Um, but again, Henderson and Kirby knew that it was possible for him to get it back and for him to keep operating. So they went to the district attorney, the district attorney at first did not really care because again, um, legally malpractice has like a cap of, I think it was $250,000 and, um, like pain and suffering, um, unless there is like a direct, I think, monetary effect of pain and suffering, it's capped at like $250,000. So like if you're paralyzed, it's no, it's not a bigger claim than if you just were like, it took longer for you to recover than it was supposed to. So like, it's not a great thing for lawyers to take on like malpractice. It's just not very worth it because there's not a whole lot of money in it. Um, So that was 2013. So March of 2015, so almost two years later, um, the police were called on Dunch while he was beating on the doors of a bank. He was like not making sense. And he was saying that his family was in danger. He was wearing his scrub top that was covered in blood. And then in April, the next month, he shoplifted from Walmart. So he now had these like outside of his operating crimes, he had these other like charges and there was a new DA in Dallas, Michelle Shugart, and she's played by Anna Sophia Robb in the show. And she has a pretty big part in the show, but um, she wanted to take on this case. And unlike the other district attorneys that Kirby and Henderson tried to get their attention, she she really wanted to like persecute him. And she realized that because Mary Eford was over 65, that would increase like the charges and the prosecution because that was like abuse of an elderly person. Um, But at this point, they only had four months before the statute of limitations would run out on that charge. So she had to work like really quickly to indict him. Um, But they used that email that he wrote to his coworker and girlfriend like years ago that said he was going to become a cold-blooded killer. And he was they were able to indict him in July of 2015. Um, and in 2017, again, another two years later, he was um, convicted and he was sentenced to life in prison. Thanks so God. I know. And at the end of the podcast, they talk about like, if there is another Dunge, you know, like mm-hmm. this, this may not be the only time we hear of something like this. I mean, hopefully yeah. not to this extent, but they talk about, you know, is he, is he a sociopath? Is he like, what, what what is it about him that made him do this like what was 
the reasoning. I mean, not the reason, but you know, the cause, I guess. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. It's kind of like the, the women like nurses that I've, mm-hmm. the one woman nurse I talked about, and you kind of hear it more like. You, there's several stories about, um, nurses doing things like that, and it's like they like the power of having someone's lives in their hands. But yeah. I mean, he was just botching that. Just he wasn't even trying to be sneaky with. No, and what he was doing. They- a little bit of them questioning him and he like in these instances they ask specifically about these people and their operations and he says oh well it went mostly normal there was just some small complications and it's like she bled out in the recovery room and like you screwed random holes in her spine like what like what are you talking about are you delusional but i mean yeah that's not normal at all yeah and then you just think like when you go to the doctor, you are like, you trust that they are the expert and they will keep you safe and will do what they need to do. And I mean, I, I've had many like operations and I feel like I'm always at the doctor and I'm like, now I go and I'm like, Oh my God, like there could you be need one to do of some background checks. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like he That's had scary. his background checks were like clean because he hadn't been reported he hadn't been put True. on that like data bank list. He had like mm-hmm. recommendations from his whoever like oversaw him in residency. So Yeah, that's um, scary. Yeah. I forget I mean, I forget how crazy that story mm-hmm. is and all the little details. And now a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So I'm doing the thing about Pam, which is a Dateline NBC story, and there's now a show on Hulu that was just released. Um, a couple people in the TV show, it has Renee Zellweger, Katie Mixon, which I recognized her from American Housewife, which is some like sitcom, and then Josh Duhamel is in it, but I didn't know that, I don't know who he plays, I didn't watch enough of it to figure that out. 
But those are a few people who were in the show. Um, I, yeah, I, I couldn't get it. was kind of cheesy. I couldn't get into it, but maybe. Even just the ad for it looked. Mm. Yeah, and it's not. Does Katie yeah. Mixon, Mixon, whatever her name is, does she have that like weird southern voice in the show? Yeah, I think so. I have so many people I don't like, but like I can't <laughs> say, she talks like this. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you can cut that out. You got to cut that out. Okay. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It was bad. It was not good. So I like the podcast though. So the podcast was released in 2019. It was hosted by Keith Morrison, which we love Keith Morrison. He's like the best. Do you know who he is? Yeah. He's got a great oh, yeah. voice. Oh, He's amazing. And he also does some of the TV. Like, he does some of the narrating in the TV. Is he the one oh. whose daughter was, like, missing or something? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. But he's been a correspondent for Dateline for 25 years. Um, and there's actually five Dateline NBC episodes on The Thing About Pam. So, there's, I mean, there's, like, their actual TV shows and then they have the podcast. So. On to the story, which I'm sure many of you know this story, but we will talk about it again. So on December 27, 2011, in Troy, Missouri, Russell Fieri, I think is how you say his name, comes home to find his wife dead, Betsy. Uh, there's blood everywhere. She had been stabbed and Russie be <laughs> Russ believed Betsy killed herself, just like based on his first initial you know, look at her. So he calls 911 and he's in a full panic. They played this call at the very beginning of the podcast. And later, like many people think he was faking his emotions on this call because they're just like, it's too much. So Russ was the prime suspect initially. He was interrogated for two days. And basically, this was his alibi. The day Betsy was murdered, Russ had worked until 5 p.m., he called her once he got off work and asked if she needed a ride because she was at her mom's house, I think. Betsy said no, her friend was going to give her a ride home, Pam. Russ ran errands for about an hour. Then he went to a game night at his friend's house around 6 p.m. And they had this game night, I think, like every Tuesday or something. He left his friend's house around 9 p.m., stopped for something to eat, and got home around 9.45. And then called 911 around 9.40, so like... His timeline matched the 911 call. So even though he had an alibi, detectives still believed he was a prime suspect, which is normal. They're always going to look at, like, the person closest to you. So they learned that Betsy had been stabbed over 56 times. And they were like, okay, like, they didn't believe his suicide assumption because obviously that wasn't suicide. They said it was a crime of passion. And, like, she had even been stabbed after she was had died. And then on January 4, 2012, Russ was arrested for the murder. So they also interview Pam because Pam Hub, because she is the one who gave Betsy the ride home. And in her interview, she's in total shock. And she had known Betsy for a decade. They worked together at a um, State Farm Insurance. The night Pam, that night Pam had told Betsy she would pick her up from her mom's house and bring her home told police that Russ and Betsy had been separated six or seven times, said he was not nice to her verbally. So, like, she was like, no, they don't have a happy marriage. And Russ was like, yeah, we did have a happy marriage. So, 
she um oh and i guess she said that he made comments about how much money he would make after she passed away and told police betsy was planning to tell russ she wanted to move in with her relatives and rent out their home in troy to save money and she was afraid russ would not like this idea police confronted russ with this idea and he said he had never been told that so kind of weird um pam told investigators that they would play a game like russ and pam where russ would put a put a pillow on her face to see what it would feel like and then say he was joking which um they confronted like i don't think this was true i think this was something that pam made up so there was not a ton of crime in lincoln county uh in the three years before betsy was murdered there had only been two murders the first murder trial for the judge this was the first murder trial for the judge and the prosecutor had never had a case like this and um it just basically they point that out to say like okay there was some shortcomings with this investigation so I'm going to give y'all, like, <laughs> I love that I just said, I'm going to give y'all, uh, like, I have an audience that I'm talking to. It's not, okay, talking everybody. To <laughs> Story time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Prosecution. This was the prosecution. Oh, my God. This was the prosecution side of the story. The 911 call, they found it, like, overdramatic and faked. Betsy's family believed this, too. There had been fights between Russ and B- Betsy. The cops were called once. The family knew there was issues causing them to believe that they got in a fight and he was enraged and killed her. And they basically were just making like small things like into big things. They had Pam take the stand. She made the pillow comment and um, said Russ was degrading and made people feel uncomfortable. The physical evidence they had was blood on this, like there was blood on his slippers on the light switch in the closet and in the kitchen there was semen found inside betsy the night of the murder there was no blood on him must have been naked like had sex was naked then killed her and then got in the shower was kind of their like you know their their story purposely covered his track with the alibi they interviewed his friends from the game night saying that they had re- rehearsed what they were going to say. So basically the prosecution was like incriminating like his four friends too. So, I mean, they just were like throwing everybody in the, under the bus. So the closing statement, the lawyer believed he had planned this, told his friends about it, left his friend, his phone at his friend's home, had sex with her, killed her, then showered, put his slippers on, got blood on them, so he puts them back in the closet, waited for the friend to return the cell phone, and then called the police. So, that's basically the prosecution side. The defense side of the story. From the start, Russ's lawyer believed he was innocent, obviously, but so did Dateline. Like, they just knew some things were off with this case. The person, like, basically his lawyer was like, Someone who was calling this a suicide would be dumb to call it a suicide if they had actually done it because there was 56 stab wounds. So, like, yeah, like come up with a better story. Like, that's not even exactly. believable if that's what you're going to use in a Yeah, and so she was covered in blood, and so the only things that were, like, the only stab wounds that were visible were the ones to her neck and wrist, so that's why they believe he thought that. Also, Betsy had attempted suicide two or three times before, so, like, that's probably where he just went immediately. Betsy had breast cancer on and off, so she had gotten it, recovered, and then got it again. I think it was basically, like, terminal the second time around. 
and yeah it was stage four and terminal and they were like why would he kill her if she had terminal cancer like she's gonna die you know Mm -hmm. like it just didn't make sense Mm -hmm. so um there's also some evidence there or russ's lawyer like goes through some of the prosecution's evidence and like debunks it so the blood on the slippers they believe were staged dip in the dipped in the blood and put back in the closet there was no footprint of the slippers in the blood on the splotches um there was only splotches of blood on the bottom and the side so it looks like they literally just like dipped it and put it back like you would think if you were wearing them there would be footprints the blood on the light switch in the same closet had betsy's dna from the blood and someone else's which they could never determine who so that's a big red question or i mean Mm -hmm. red flag the pillow on Betsy's face, her mother stated that she never heard of Russ ever doing that, and they were really close, so they don't think that was true. Yeah, my mom would know. Um, she knows everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then the crime of passion, they just said, like, many of the wounds were the same amount in death, come, like, and they came from the um, same area, so there was, like, no irre- irregularities. Meaning they, like, made it, they tried to stage it to look like a crime of passion. So it was like she literally Mm. just sat there from the same angle and Mm. just Mm -hmm. tried to make it look like it was a crime of passion. Russ had four alibi witnesses and cell phone data tracking his location. Rigor mortis had set in by the time he found her, and she had been dead for a couple of hours. There was only eight sperm found in Betsy, and they had sex Sunday night, and she died Tuesday night, meaning that eight sperm could still be present, so they didn't have sex that night. Evidence proved no shower was taken that time that night. They, like, pipes were tested. Um, Russ's lawyer had an alternative spec- suspect, but could not use the evidence in court because the judge said it was irrelevant. Um, Russ was found guilty on first-degree murder and would serve life in prison. So, obviously, the other suspect is Pam. Um, And here's some reasons why she, uh, like, the lawyer was getting suspicious of her. The family, so, like, after Betsy died, the family was trying to use the money from the life insurance policies to cover the funeral expenses. And during this time, they found out that there was a $150,000 policy on Betsy that Pam had received. Four days uh, before she was murdered, one of the policies was switched from Russ's name to Pam's name. Uh, And when they switched it over, they did not go to a notary. They went to a local library and basically just, like, asked this woman to sign this form, and she did. Betsy said this, I mean, Pam said this was Betsy's idea. She said she wanted her to have it so she could help Betsy's daughters out after she was gone. Trusted she could handle the money. And, like, Russ would be too distraught to be able to handle it. The insurance company called the police to ensure Pam wasn't a suspect in the murder. They said no, and the insurance company gave her the money. So, when the family found out Pam had gotten um, that money, they wanted to use it on the funeral. And she said no. Why should Betsy pay for her own funeral when her husband killed her? So, she put $100,000 in a trust for Betsy's daughter's. She re- she revoked the trust right after Russ was convicted, and then she said she gave the remaining 50k to a struggling family she knew. So, yeah. During um, a later interview, she says she doesn't recall that promise she made. So, 
very sketch. Yeah. It's Russ's lawyer filed a, Yeah. Russ's lawyer filed a motion to a new hearing and won. The defense's evidence in the second trial was the um they tracked Betsy's I mean, I'm sorry, Pam's cell phone records. And so when Pam and Betsy arrived to Betsy's home, Pam called her husband to tell them that they or to tell him they made it to Betsy's like which is very odd at the time, but they, she was trying to establish her alibi. Pam then called Betsy's phone to tell her she had made it home. The timestamps did not timestamps did not match with the amount of time it would have taken her to get home. They believe she made the call from Betsy's neighborhood. So, like I said, she was trying to create an alibi. Russ, uh, Russ took a polygraph test, like when they first interviewed him, and it wasn't recorded. <laughs> And audio and video are supposed to be taken on polygraph, te polygraph tests, so, like, that was a big red flag. The lead investigator told Pam to open the trust for the girls before the trial, like, to help her case. So, literally, like, the police investigator was, like, giving her tips. They did a luminol test, and the... Like, they said they when they took pictures from the luminol test, like, the camera wasn't working, and so the pictures came out like black so like the pictures from the crime like they did that on purpose because basically it wasn't supporting their investigation like the crime scene wasn't oh, lord uh, yeah russ's story never changed and pam's interviews were inconsistent they changed over time prosecution defense in the second trial they still said it was a crime of passion russ was violent <laughs> They said, Pam, this was something new. They said Pam and Betsy had an affair with Russ, and Russ was jealous. Made that, and they were like. Just throwing things yeah. out there. And they, they tried to do this because it would make sense for Betsy to give Pam the money. And then they were like, basically, they were like, how was this not mentioned in the first interview? Like, this only came up three years later. Supposedly, a letter was written to Pam from Betsy about giving her the money in their relationship, but the author of that letter was unknown. Like, they tracked it down on the computer, so it's like someone planted the letter. Mm -hmm. Russ was found not guilty in the second trial in November of 2015. Um, after this, Betsy's daughters brought Pam to civil court over the insurance money. She was a hostile witness. Like, she wasn't answering the questions directly, and she was going in circles. However, like, the judge still didn't force her to turn the money over to the girls because there was no proof that Betsy specifically said to give the money to the girls. So, just not good. In 2016 of August, or in August of 2016, Pam calls 911 saying there was an intruder and she had shot him five times. So, when police investigate the scene... There were red flags. There was no first forced entry. There had been a piece of carpet cut out, and the man was conveniently laying on top of that. So, like, to place, like, it was placed there to protect the good carpet. So, very weird. $900 bills were found in the man's pocket. <clears throat> Some of the bills were matched to a $100 bill in Pam's room, like the numbering. Like, mm -hmm. so they came from the same batch. Mm -hmm. They found um, in the man's pocket, there was a note with instructions that said, kidnap Pam, get Russ's money from Pam, then kill Pam. And they were trying to say Russ set this up, 
and Russ went straight to the police and got his alibi cleared. And he also provided a note to prove that he did not write that that note found in the man's pocket. And the police said the 911 call sounded scripted, like the one Pam made about the intruder. Mm-hmm. So when they interviewed her, they said she was very casual for someone who just shot somebody who had entered their home. Like, you think you would be, like... Shaken. Yeah, adrenaline running through, you know. She said she was backing out of her driveway when someone pulled up behind her really fast. They got out of this car and hopped into Pam's, pulled a knife on her, and said, take me to the bank and to get Russ's money. She said the guy wasn't alone. There was a driver in the other car, and she was basically saying the driver looked like Russ. She escaped to the car, ran into her home. The attacker followed her. She called 911 and then fired the gun. The police thought this whole thing, like, again, sounded scripted. Police identified the attacker as Louis Gumberger. They spoke to Lewis's mom, and she said he did not have the mental capacity to do something like this, and he did not have the physical capacity to even run. He had been in a car accident years before that left him with really bad brain damage. Um, So they were like, okay, what's the connection between Pam and Lewis? So by searching Pam's phone, they learned that from her location history, she had been driving through low-income neighborhoods for weeks, basically searching for a target. She stopped at Lewis's apartment complex goes from there right back to her house so like they had her location where she literally picked him up and brought him to her house mm-hmm. they also had a had her on video stopping at a bakery outside her neighborhood and he was in the passenger seat so like just the worst like they were like this is literally like a middle schooler came up with this idea like this is so bad yeah so they were like, okay, how did she get Lewis in her car? Well, they got a tip from this woman named Carol Alfred. Carol was at her home with her dog outside, and a woman drove by and came back. Pam got out of the It was Pam, and she got out of the car. She asked Carol, do you babysit? And Carol's thinking, like, why is a stranger asking some other stranger in a trailer park that? She said she was a producer from Dateline, and her name was Kathy. Well, the actual producer working on this Dateline story was named Kathy. And the the Kathy woman was like, what the hell? So, <laughs> yeah, she was like, well, excuse me? So, told her some story that Dateline was reenacting 911 calls and had rented a trailer in the park. And told her she would give her $1,000 up front and then $1,000 when they're done. And Keith Morrison is like, okay, one, we don't reenact 911 calls. And two, we don't pay people for interviews, but okay. So, she had Pam pull into her driveway where, like, the security cameras on her house would capture the license plate, and she got into the car with her and was like, okay, I'll go with you. And then she gets in the car and she asks uh, Pam for an ID, and she's like, oh, I'll show you later at this place by the mall. And then Carol was like, okay, that's a different location than what she just told me. So, she, like, makes up some line, gets her to bring her back home. And so, she goes back in her house and calls 911. And so, later, they bring her in to interview, and she points Pam out in a lineup. So, they were like, okay, she basically used the same tactic on Lewis, and it worked, and he ended up dead. At that point, they go and arrest Pam in August of 2016. After she was arrested and during her interview, she tried to commit suicide. She asked to go to the bathroom, like you can see, or they say on camera, she, like, 
takes the pen off the desk and then asks to go to the bathroom and then like starts stabbing herself like in the neck and in her on her wrist. Shortly after she was arrested, another county was reviewing the death of Pam's mom. In an interview from the first trial for Betsy, she explains the story of how her mom got in an accident and was put in a home. She told police if she really wanted insurance money, she would just kill her mom instead of Betsy because Betsy was someone who could fight back. So, yeah. In 2013, Pam's mom had died from falling from the balcony of her third floor apartment. It was ruled an accident at the time. She was prone to falling. Um, But, of course, Pam was the last person to see Shirley alive. So, they got a tip that they should reinvestigate, and they did, and they still didn't find, like, anything. They still thought it was an accident. Um, and the police never interviewed Pam during any of those, in like, initial investigations. They did talk to her brother, and he said he didn't have any concerns. Like, he assumed, like, she just fell. Well, they had questions about the railing because, like, Shirley didn't fall over the railing. She, like fell to the ground with like she fell through the railing like the railing went with her and they were like you would literally need like a lawnmower to like push through the railing for it to like break you know or like someone kicking it you don't just yeah the force to go through yeah it with it yeah exactly yeah. knock it out yeah yeah and at the time of her fall shirley had fourteen thousand. <laughs> sorry 14 times the amount of ambient in her system that's what i need to sleep at night i don't know Fourteen thousand. um i'm still thinking numbers in my head they changed the death ruling from accidental to undetermined but i don't think anything has ever happened with that in august 2018 lincoln county voted the um prosecutor and the judge who was involved in the murder case of betsy like out and the case has been reopened with a new prosecutor prosecutor named Mark Wood. And he believes that that DNA that I told you was on the light switch, well, that was a male's DNA, but they don't know who. So he thinks there might have been an accomplice. So um, they're trying to, like, reopen that case of Betsy because the prior prosecutor and judge, like, after Russ was found not guilty the second time around, they would never prosecute anyone because they didn't think they thought it was Russ. So her case was basically just like open and, you know, like there was no, they weren't going to find, they weren't going to convict anybody. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So in June of 2019, Pam takes an Alfred plea or guilty plea for the murder of Lewis. And that basically means she's acknowledging that the state's evidence is so overwhelming that had she gone to trial, there would be no doubt she was convicted, but she never, like, admitted to the murder, which is kind of, you know, that that's annoying for a lot of the family members. In yeah. July of 21, um, she was interviewed in connection with the murder of Betsy for the first time and later tra- would charge her with first-degree murder of Betsy. And I, this is actually not in the podcast. I, like, went to Wikipedia to find, like, what was going on today. Pam entered a non or a not-guilty plea. A preliminary hearing was scheduled for February of 2022, but was delayed after Pam's public defender died of a heart attack. So, Mm. right now she's spending Um, time in jail for Lewis's murder, Um, but I do think they will try to convict her for Betsy's murder with the new prosecutor. So, 
crazy story. Literally everyone who comes into contact with her. Yeah, they were like, like what dead. are the odds that you were the last person to see three people alive and they're all dead? Yeah, like, the, yeah. yeah, the prosecutor mm. was like, I've literally never been the last person to see someone alive. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's bizarre. I was thinking, but this couldn't be it. I was like, I wonder if Lewis was her accomplice because that would be, you know, it would be convenient for her to kill the only other person who knew that yeah, she that did it. Point. But they would have, they would have his DNA, so they would true. have been able to match that. True, but. true. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that is a She's crazy Pam man. She the oh. thing about Pam. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're out of it a little bit. Yeah, we're. I don't know. It's Some, the end of the week. Wrong. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so yeah, those are a couple of good podcasts that have been turned into TV shows. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be your thing. It's not my thing, but I still love the podcast. So, yeah. you know, yep. give it a try. Give it a shot. See what you think. You probably already heard these stories because, I mean, these were like, I feel like very Old. popular. Old and popular. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. anyways, I think that's it. I don't have anything else. Until next time. Next time. All right. Bye, Sam. Bye, Ashton. Thanks for listening to In Search Of. Don't forget to review, subscribe, and follow our podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you want more information on In Search Of, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.